Thank you for being here today. Uh, as you can see, we are starting a new series today called A Different Gospel. Uh, it is no coincidence that we are starting this series today on our graduate commissioning service. These graduates will go off to school and to the workplace and they will be confronted with a buffet of ideas on what it means to follow Christ, what it means to know truth, and I promise you that many items on that buffet are unhealthy for them. Uh, and so hopefully in this series they will be able to discern uh, some of this and this will give them some foundations as they go out into the world and their faith uh, grows even stronger. The impetus for this series really came over this past year as I received a number of questions about what is happening in the United Methodist Church. If you're not familiar with what has happened over this past year, you can Google it and you can get more information than you ever dreamed of. Uh, however, the cliff note version is this. The United Methodist Church has decided to abandon its long-held beliefs regarding sexuality, specifically the ordination of openly homosexual ministers and the freedom for ministers to perform same-sex marriage ceremonies in their churches. Because they have made this decision to abandon those traditional Christian beliefs, a new denomination is formed out of the Methodist Church called the Global Methodist Church. Now, this is the denomination of the day. This is the denomination that is in the news. However, these same divisions have happened over these past several years in a number of denominations. 2018, the Presbyterian Church USA, which is the largest Presbyterian denomination in our nation, made the decision to allow same-sex marriages to be performed by their clergy and to ordain openly homosexual men and women as pastors. Furthermore, that transgender and, quote, non-binary individuals were to be f fully affirmed in their lifestyle and their moral choices. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, a denomination in our country with nearly 2,000 churches, has welcomed as well churches into their denomination that support uh, openly homosexual clergy and the uh, churches and clergy performing same-sex weddings. Now, although these decisions have focused on sexuality, uh, that is just really one piece of a much larger puzzle of a movement that has consumed many churches over the last several decades. Uh, churches that had once held to very traditional historic beliefs regarding their Christian viewpoints have ceased to hold those beliefs. Here's what I mean. Up until 30 or 40 years ago, you could go into a community and to virtually any Protestant church in that community, and the core beliefs would be the same. There would be some differences regarding baptism, some different worship styles, even some theological differences on secondary and tertiary matters, but the core beliefs would be the same. If you 
Our Baptists, for example, 30 or 40 years ago, you might go to a Presbyterian church and you may think they were a little too stuffy, or you could go to a Pentecostal church and think they were a little too wild. However, at the very core of what they believed about God and Jesus and sin and salvation, you would say, oh, I agree with that. But now in this century, that is no longer the case. There has been a significant movement in our country within traditional Christian churches. These churches that formerly embraced the beliefs and the values of historic Christianity have moved away from those beliefs and those teachings. Uh, this movement has been labeled progressive Christianity. And you can see on your message map this morning, we are going to seek to define what is progressive Christianity and to look at six core beliefs of this movement. But before we do so, let me give you just a few caveats and challenges that I am anticipating both with today and throughout this series. The first is this. We are trying to define a movement that has no formal organization. When I say progressive Christianity, that is not a denomination. Uh, there is not a group that has organized and put together one unified document with clearly stated beliefs. So some of the things that I mentioned through this series, some progressive Christians would say, well, I do not believe that or our church does not believe that. So what I am addressing is in general, this is what they believe, and so not everything I say will apply specific, specifically to every single church. The second challenge is the fact that progressive Christians in general tend to reject clear definitions. Most progressive, uh, progressive Christian authors that I read in studying for this series asked a lot of questions, especially about traditional Christianity without giving clear answers and definitions of their own. In fact, for this series, I purchased a couple of books by progressive Christian pastors trying to understand their viewpoint. And one of the books had a uh, chapter entitled, What is the Gospel? I went straight to that chapter. I wanted to find an answer to that question. Since that is a central issue of the Christian faith, I wanted to know what a self-proclaimed progressive Christian author would say about that particular topic. And so in the chapter, this author sought to explain the gospel by answering this question. What did the early Christians believe was the path to salvation? This was his answer. First, to accept the free gift of being born again into life of the ages or life abundant meant participation in a new genesis, a new creation, interrupting the downward death spiral of violence and counterviolence and joining an upward regenerative movement. I read that paragraph three times. I still have no idea <laughs> what it means. It's some kind of word salad to me. Just throw a lot of words in a paragraph and maybe they mean something, but I, 
I cannot understand it. In fact, his second and third steps on the path of salvation, in my opinion, were just as unclear. Lots of words, but not a lot of clarity. The third challenge in this series is that progressive Christians will use the same words, the same language of traditional Christians, but they will mean completely different things. In sermons or in writings and articles, often I would read what a progressive Christian wrote and I would think, oh, I agree with that. Oh, that is what we believe as well. But then when I would dig a little deeper, I would find out they use the same words, but they meant something entirely different. A perfect example of this uh, came to me a few months back when someone sent me a video that had made its way around the social media universe about a church in Florida that hosted as a guest speaker a drag queen named Mrs. Pentecost. Do you get that? It's a play on words. Penny, cost, like Pentecost, the event that we read about in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit came upon the church. This drag queen, Mrs. Pentecost, is a traveling evangelist and often speaks in churches across the United States. In October of last year, she spoke at a Methodist church in Florida. And after Miss Pentecost spoke to the congregation, the pastor of the church came up and offered some follow-up comments. And this is what he said, and I quote, one of the things I think is great about Mrs. Pentecost is that she reminds us that we follow a God who calls us to not conform to the things of this world, that we are supposed to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. That means that what I think today may, may have to change tomorrow if I continue to renew my mind. And it's so cool that we serve a God who calls us to continue to grow and continue to change into something new and uh, to not be bound by the ways of the world confines us sometimes, that we are supposed to live differently. Now, the pastor here was paraphrasing from Romans chapter, two, chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I read what this pastor had said, on the surface, I agree with all of it. We are supposed to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. We are not to be bound by what the world tells us and how we should think. We are certainly called to live differently from the world. This pastor used the same words that I would use. However, he obviously meant something completely different from the way that I would use it. And so it's hard sometimes to understand the differences between what progressive Christians believe and traditional historic Christians because we use the same language, but we mean different things. The fourth, and I think this is our greatest challenge in this, is that any honest conversation on this topic will lead to a lot of strong emotions and harsh accusations. Name-calling, 
Many times, even just asking questions will get you slapped with labels like fundamentalist or racist or homophobic or transphobic. I wish there could be genuine, honest conversations about beliefs to understand the perspectives of the other side. However, that is rarely the case. There is one well-known progressive pastor uh, named Colby Martin. Uh, He wrote a book entitled Unclobber. Uh, Just the title of that book tells you a lot. His belief is that traditional historic Christian churches have clobbered people with the gospel. I actually watched a video of this pastor, and I think he is a very kind individual. Um, However, in his book, he wrote these words. To be sure, many good, loving, kind, and gracious Christians would never join a Westboro Baptist picket line, and yet marching in their hometown's pride parade is just as far-fetched. Do you notice what he is saying there? There are only, in his mind, two options. One option is you join the pride parade. You fully affirm the LGBTQ lifestyle or you're just as mean and hateful as the Westboro nuts. Those are the only two options. A third option of, well, I'm kind and loving to everyone, however, I hold to these biblical, biblical beliefs is not an option C. It's either A, you're a full supporter, or B, you're hateful and mean. And I am sure that as I go through this series, I will get a lot of criticism. We post our sermons online, and I know that there will be mean comments on Facebook and Instagram. I understand that I will get a lot of criticism throughout this series. In fact, I'm going into this series eyes wide open knowing that, so much so that I almost decided not to do the series. Why would I preach a series knowing that I would be criticized? Here's why. It is the only fair and loving thing to do. For us to understand what is going on in the world around us and to shine a spotlight on what the Bible says and what is true and in my opinion what is not true. So with that let me give you the best definition as I understand it of the beliefs of progressive Christians. If you've got your message map with you you can fill in these blanks. Progressive Christianity is a movement with historical Christian roots, yet differs in its view of the Bible, Christian doctrines, moral, and social issues. I know, that's pretty much everything, right? So let me give you just a few more specific examples of where progressive Christians and historic Christians part ways. These are six beliefs of progressive Christians that I think in general are true across this movement. The first one is on your message map. If you'll look at that and write this in, progressive Christians view Jesus as an example rather than a savior. In general, progressive Christians would say that Jesus was sent by God 
to teach us and to show us a right pattern for living. In other words, he did not come to die for our sins. Now, most progressive Christians would say, yes, he came to this earth, there's no doubt. Yes, he was crucified on a cross outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. The historical evidence for that event is overwhelming. Where progressive Christians would divide from traditional Christianity is on the resurrection. They say that Jesus was sent by God as an example, not a savior, not someone who was literally raised from the dead. They would say he was a prophet, a good man, but at the end of the day, just a man. An article I found representing uh, progressive Episcopal Christian churches uh, did a great job of explaining their view on this. Their view of salvation has also been labeled the moral influence theory. And so the writer of this article explained their view of salvation this way. So what is the moral influence theory? In a nutshell, it is the teaching that Jesus came to save us from ourselves, not from sin. It is a doctrine that focuses on positive moral change as the heart of the Christian faith. We are taught to love as God loves us as demonstrated through Jesus of Nazareth. When we come to this knowledge and understanding and accept and strive, accept it and strive to live our lives accordingly, loving as we are loved, forgiven, forgiving as we are forgiven, here's the key, then we will discover our own atonement. Atonement is a big church word for salvation. And the writers of this article are saying that we will discover our own salvation through following the example of Jesus. We can atone for ourselves by following the teachings and example of Jesus. They reject the historic Christian belief that Jesus came to die for our sins, that he was resurrected, and that through him we find salvation. Now let me ask you this, where do Christians get that idea that Jesus died for our sins? From countless verses in the Bible. Here is just one, you'll see this on your message map. First John says it this way, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as what? An atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is one of hundreds of verses that I could point to that say this is why Jesus came. John did not say that Jesus came as an example, but as an atoning sacrifice. Secondly, look at your message map and fill this in. Progressive Christians believe that we are born essentially good rather than sinful individuals. There is a progressive Christian author named Danielle Shore who wrote a book several years ago with this title, Original Blessings, Putting Sin in Its Rightful Place. 
And she argues throughout this book that the concept of original sin is not biblical. And she says that we were basically born all as good, already connected with God individuals. She admits that we make mistakes, that we have shortcomings, but this idea of an inherited, ingrained sinfulness in her mind is way overblown. And she says, we do not have an inherent sinful nature. And in an interview about this book, she says this, original sin hinders us from seeing the world as created for connection to God, to each other, to all created things. It forces us instead to begin with the notion that humans are separate from God. She is stating here that we are born connected to God with or without Jesus, that our sins have not separated us from God. And yet that's exactly what the Bible teaches us. In fact, large portion of the book of Romans is dedicated to this. And if you don't believe that this is the case, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and sign up to work in our two-year-old preschool class (laughs) next Sunday. And I want you to come back and I want you to argue with me that we are all basically born as good. You do not have to teach a toddler how to lie, how to push another kid, how to bite. It is ingrained in them. This selfish, sinful nature is something that we all inherit. You go and you work in that class and you will see clearly displayed a theological truth that we see in the book of Romans and in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 23, where Paul wrote, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Fall short of the glory of God is we are born separated through God. And it's a chasm that is only overcome through Jesus Christ. Thirdly, fill this in, progressive Christians praise rather than condemn sexual sin. Now listen carefully. I want, to, I want to be careful in how I phrase this. What does this mean? In our church, in most traditional historic Christian churches, all are welcome. We welcome everyone. All sinners are welcome. This is a place for imperfect people. All of us who walked in these doors this morning are imperfect And so if this past week has been a rough week for you, you are welcome here. If you lied this past week, if you were selfish this past week, if you were greedy this past week, if you committed sexual sin this past week, whether heterosexual or homosexual, you are absolutely 100% welcome here. Anyone and everyone We welcome them all. The difference is we do not affirm actions that the Bible calls immoral. So let me give you this example. If you stole from someone this past week, you are absolutely welcome here today. However, 
Just because you stole from someone doesn't mean that I'm going to change what I believe the Bible says about stealing so that you feel comfortable here. And I will not say, well, you were just born a stealer. That's just who you are. And I want you to be accepted even though you're a stealer. So you just go ahead and steal. You keep on stealing. I will not condemn your stealing. You are affirmed as a stealer. And I will tell you all of that as I hold tightly to my wallet. Because I'm worried you'll steal from me. If you come in and you have stolen, you are welcome here. But I will tell you the Bible says that stealing is wrong. However, especially today, a hallmark of progressive Christianity is the affirmation of sexual choices that the Bible clearly calls immoral. A progressive Christian congregation on the West Coast, under their belief section, stated this very clearly, very plainly. We support full inclusion and equality for transgender, lesbian, bisexual, gay, and questioning persons. And you will find that this is the dividing line today. Virtually every progressive Christian church will affirm, that's different than welcome, will affirm LGBTQ choices and lifestyles. Now some will do so very boldly. They will fly the rainbow flags in front of their church. Some will do so a little more inconspicuously. However, I know of no progressive Christian church who says that marriage is defined as only between one man and one woman. Again, this has become the marker and the divider between progressive Christians and historical Christians. Now, I will not belabor this point uh, any longer this morning because we will spend an entire uh, sermon on this topic in this series. Um, But I do want you to note on your message map the words of Paul to Timothy. Here's what Paul wrote. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious. So now he's going to list what is ungodly and sinful. For those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for, the, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, virtually all progressive Christians that I know of would agree that yes, it is sinful to kill one's father and mother. That murder is certainly wrong. Uh, one cannot say, well, look, God just made me this way as a murderer, and so you need to affirm my lifestyle as a murderer. And they would go on to say that slave trading is morally wrong. And that when Christian churches 200 years ago sided with what was widely practiced in the culture, and they sided with the cultural view rather than the biblical view that those churches were wrong. However, on sexual immorality, on homosexuality, these progressive Christian churches have decided to embrace the values of our culture 
rather than the teachings of the Bible. Which leads us to the next trait of progressive Christians. Again, you can fill these in on your message map. Progressive Christians reflect rather than challenge the values of our culture. Now, I know that some progressive Christians would, would argue this point. And they would push back and say, no, there are many times that our beliefs contradict the beliefs of culture, or at least certain segments of culture, and we challenge those beliefs. However, on a number of big, hot-button topics, their views are more in line with secular culture than with historic Christianity and the teachings of Scripture. There is a progressive Christian church uh, located within our state who on their website not only stated their beliefs on the issue of homosexuality, uh, but how they arrived at those beliefs as well. Now, to their credit, it is a well-written document. Uh, the difficulties and challenges I had with some other books that did not provide clarity, I did not find here. They were very clear on how they arrived at this decision. And so in describing their journey as a church that once held traditional historic Christian beliefs on sexual immorality, how they transitioned from that to fully affirming the LGBTQ lifestyle, including performing same-sex marriages, ordaining homosexual ministers, they wrote about their journey, and this is part of what they wrote. Obergfell v. Hodges, the Supreme Court's decision legalizing same-sex marriage came in June 2015. The ruling highlighted the church's lack of clarity around issues of sexuality and gender identity and marriage in particular. Now notice this, the broader acceptance of LGBTQ plus people in American life hovered in the background of the year-long visioning process. Now again, I appreciate the clarity here. The impetus for their change, they say, was not a thorough study of Scripture, and then coming to the conclusion that for the last 2,000 years, the Christian church has misinterpreted these verses and has missed the correct beliefs about sexuality. Instead, they openly admit that look, the views of our culture on this issue have changed. And so perhaps we should change our views as, as well. Except, let me ask you this. Should the ever-shifting morals of our culture guide our own morality? Should an ever-evolving culture and what they believe is true and not true, guide where we stand on what we believe? Notice what Jesus told his followers in John 15. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. You are not part of that culture. I have chosen you out of the world. And guess what? That is why the world hates you. We do not try to intentionally offend the culture around us. 
There is no badge of honor that comes just from making people mad. However, the gospel is naturally offensive to the world. And Jesus, who was sinless and perfect, was hated because of his beliefs. And so we should expect that we are countercultural in what we believe and what we practice. The fifth view of progressive Christians on your message map, you can fill in these blanks. Progressive Christians view Jesus as one way rather than the only way. Again, this is from a self-identified progressive church on the West Coast. They made a very clear statement on this. I want you to notice what they wrote. Christianity is the truth for us, but it is not the only truth. This principle stems from the reality of the 21st century. We share our lives with people who are Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist. We experience these people as loving and caring by following their religious traditions. To deny that is to deny that God can only draw people with one way. That simply isn't born out of our experience. The power of the Christian faith to transform lives does not require it to be exclusively true. Exclusivity is born out of fear. I would reject that sentence. Exclusivity is born out of truth. I very much believe that when I go to my doctor. I want my doctor to give me what is the right way, just not any old way that I choose. Exclusivity is not born out of fear. Uh, they say, though, the fear that is there is one train to God, and if you aren't on the right train, you'll go to hell. We believe there are many trains, and God welcomes them all. Now, again, like I said earlier, I really appreciate their clarity on this issue. Uh, for me, it's easy to understand what they are saying about how one is able to have a relationship with God. And they say... There are multiple ways. There are many different paths. You get on the train that works for you. At the end of the day, all the trains end up in the same location. They may have different tracks. They go in different directions for a period of time, but they all have the same ending point. Now understand, that is not the traditional historic view of the Christian church. You notice this on your message map. These are the words of Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I just do not see how Jesus could have been any more clear than that. There are not multiple trains, there are not multiple paths, or not multiple ways. According to Jesus, there is only one way. Finally, this is number six. Progressive Christians view Scripture as merely helpful rather than authoritative. And this is one of the biggest difficulties in really understanding progressive Christianity. Uh, they use a lot of Scripture. They just don't use all of Scripture. In my research, I came across a blog by a progressive Christian pastor who listed 16 ways that progressive Christians interpret the Bible. Number two was this. 
We don't think that God wrote the Bible. Again, I appreciate his clarity on that. We think it was written by fallible human beings who were inspired by, but not dictated to by, the Holy Spirit. Hence, we don't consider it to be infallible or inerrant. So, this pastor says he believes that the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but not written by God, which creates an issue here because he says that some of it was true because the Holy Spirit did give some inspiration, but the parts that I do not think were inspired, I am able to reject, which begs the question, how do you, how do you decide? <laughs> how do you know which parts were inspired and which parts were not? Historic Christianity, traditional Christianity has instead said this, the entire Bible was inspired by God. Now there are challenges that we have in understanding how to rightly read and interpret certain passages, but we are not given the luxury of just dismissing the parts of scripture that we don't like. We cannot cut out passages and verses and books that contradict the way that we want to live or the things that we say we think are true. Because we believe that it was all inspired by God. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Timothy, all scripture, not some, not the parts you like, not the parts that make you feel good, not your favorite memory verse only, all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. These are the classic hallmarks of progressive Christianity. And in my opinion, when you put it all together, you're left with something that's not Christian at all. What you're left with is a Jesus who was not divine, a salvation that you somehow attain on your own, and this ever-changing, ever-evolving morality that is wrapped in this religious covering. And so in this series, what we are going to do is to try to get a better understanding of this movement, but more importantly, to gain a better understanding of why we believe what we believe so that we can be ready, so that we can be prepared to do what Peter tells us to do in 1 Peter chapter 3, to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. May we all be prepared to give that reason for the hope that we have.